0: And he follows it with our daily bread. And what he is saying here is that he is our daily bread. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one that is our source of life. And, and so as we were praying over the Women's Summer Series, these verse, this verse, this language kept coming to my mind. And um, he's teaching on prayer. And that was the next thing God highlighted to me. And prayer is what nourishes us as well. When we go to God and we talk with God, when we dialogue with him, he nourishes us, he teaches us, he changes us, and he transforms us, and he sustains us. So tonight, our topic is going to be on looking at prayer. And if you've are um, been around Vineyard a long time, you're familiar with the uh, Vineyard five-step prayer model. We're not looking at that tonight, though we fully embrace it. We're actually going to be looking at a prayer by the Apostle Paul, and so I want to start off and just ask you a question. How did you learn to pray? Think back. Some of us may need to think a little bit longer. How did you learn to pray? You know, if you were raised in the church um, from the time you were young, I would assume one way you learned to pray was in your uh, Sunday school classes with your teachers, right? Um, if you had parents who were believers, maybe you learned to pray by, from them. Maybe you prayed in your home. Maybe as you got older, maybe a, a youth group leader, you learned how to pray more during that time, or your pastor. Uh, if you're like me, I wasn't raised in the church. I became a believer at the age of 35. Um, at a previous church. And um, we immediately, Derek and I immediately got invited into a small group. And for some reason, we said yes. (laughs) Um, And it was a wonderful experience. And those were some of the first memories I have of learning to pray. And I learned to pray by listening to the other people in our group pray. And that's often how we learn to pray. We kind of imitate. Uh, what we hear, um, which isn't a bad thing, we can learn a lot from even prayers that we don't find maybe um, as meaningful to us as other prayers. But we're always learning, and we can. There's grace in that. And I look back really early on. I felt called to be a, a teacher in our children's classroom um, for the three-year-olds, which was perfect. I got to learn the stories of the Bible. I got to learn how to pray at a three year old level. And let me just say if you were here tonight and you feel like you're at a three year old level, there is nothing to be ashamed about in that. You know, I think we often think when we come into relationship with Jesus and maybe we're older, right? We're a mature adult. We think that we're supposed to act like we're spiritually mature. And you know what? You're just not. <laughs> it's, that's just the reality of it. Um, and so I prayed like a three-year-old back then. And I am so thankful that I had gracious people around me to encourage me and to teach me. Um, and who didn't make fun of me They loved it that I was coming before our God and just pouring my heart out, even in the simplest of terms. So we learn from each other. But I think sometimes we can overlook the value of learning how to pray from Scripture. Scripture teaches us so much about how to pray, not only in the prayers that we see that are recorded in Scripture, you know, specifically, I think of Jesus, and I think of the Apostle Paul, like we're going to talk tonight, Moses, and Nehemiah, and David. and There's just endless prayers that we can learn from. Um, but there's also value when we are in Scripture, we learn about God. We learn about the character of God. And when we do that, as we build this relationship, and more of the Holy Spirit is imparted to us, then we learn to talk with God in more mature ways. I'm not a pro at it. I'm in a a prayer group, a group of moms that are um, the school where our girls go to school, about um, seven moms. We've prayed for about seven years now for our daughters. We pray for the whole class, but we've made it a habit. We each take a day of the week, and every day I pray on Mondays. Um, And we submit prayer requests, and those prayer requests have really changed through the years. Um, I'm in a circle of believers that come from different denominations, which there is so much value in that and so much to learn from each other. Um, About three years ago, the prayer circle leader encouraged us to start incorporating scripture into our prayers. And I go, that was the Holy Spirit. It was just so good. And it changes. It changes how you pray. Because we can easily just say, oh, I need this fixed. That's wrong. This isn't working out. Her attitude's bad. My attitude's bad. You just start praying for those things. But when you look at scripture, and tonight we're going to see in the Apostle Paul, he prayed for really eternal kingdom-focused things. Um, and that should be our heart's desire, not that we don't pray for the other things, too. So we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul. That was a scripture in Ephesians that I felt like the Lord put on my heart. For those of you who may not know who Paul is, let me just tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul um, was Jewish. He was a Jewish Pharisee. And the Pharisees were well-trained in the Bible, like well-trained, um, when the Christian movement came on the scene, um, he, Paul was, as you'll see more and more, he's really committed in his faith. Um, and he really felt the Christian movement was a threat against Judaism. He sincerely thought that. And so what they did back then was they persecuted Christians. So he was a persecutor, persecutor of Christians until one day he came face to face with Jesus. And he, his life was never the same. And that was really the beginning of his transformation process as he became a lover and follower of Jesus and he spent his life sharing the gospel of Jesus. He was a preacher, a missionary. He was often called the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, so he was of Jewish descent, but um, he preached and uh, evangelized to... Um, Those uh, others who were not of the Jewish faith, referred to as the Gentiles. Uh, He was a church planner. He was um, probably apart from Jesus. I would say that he shaped Christianity um, most. Uh, He had the greatest influence on it. Um, So there's much to be learned from Paul. So Paul was very committed in prayer. As you read his prayers in the scriptures, he was comfortable with prayer. He was passionate about it. He was bold, yet he was humble. Um, He had great excitement, and he prayed big prayers, as we'll see tonight. So he is an excellent example for us as a prayer. And he prayed significant things because he believed in the greatness of God, and he knew his God would deliver. So there's lots of prayers we could have looked at. They are endless. But tonight, we can't get through all of them. (laughs) So we're going to look at a prayer that he, um, a letter in Ephesians. It's a prayer that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Um, And tonight, he wrote this to the church of Ephesus. But tonight, you need to know he wrote it to you as well. He wrote it to this church body. He wrote it to all of the church body. So tonight, when you read this, personalize it personalize it as a prayer he prayed for you. Chew on it, meditate on it. If you do not have an outline, in the back corner, uh, there's a stool over there and you can get an outline. Tonight, I really encourage you to take notes. Take notes on your outline, but take notes of, note of what God's doing in your heart and what he's speaking to you, um, because we're going to use that during our discussion time. So what didn't Paul pray for? You know, the believers in Ephesus, were, real, Ephesus were, no long, were no different than us. They had the same concerns. You know, they had concerns about provision in their lives, for shelter, for clothing, um, for food, for their jobs, for income, for their health, their marital issues, maybe the desire of wanting to be married, but not. For their kids, for maybe the desire to be a parent, but not for the tension in relationships, for trying to choose the spirit over the flesh. They had all these same concerns, but we don't see that as the concern or the focus of Paul's prayers in scripture, at least what's recorded. He didn't ask for a lot of these things. Um, We can note once, recorded in 2 Corinthians 12, where it says three times he prayed for a thorn to be removed from his side. He prayed three times, and God responded, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. So we don't know what that thorn was. It was never shared exactly what that was, but he did refer to it as a messenger of Satan. So my assumption is it was a pretty significant thorn. Whatever that affliction was, it gave him a limp. But you know what? That's the only time we see that he prayed for it that we're aware, that was um, to, determined to be recorded in Scripture. And in that, I believe that the presence of that thorn was there to glorify God through Paul. He said that it, uh, it humbled him. It reminded him who God was and who he was and the order in which um, that was for him. It, Paul, um, God enabled Paul to overcome it and he, he helped him to operate with that thorn. You know, often we want to pray ourselves out of things when God really wants to use things, the hard things in our lives. And he does it because it transforms us when we rely on him and we trust him. And it makes us more kingdom-minded. It helps people to be drawn to Jesus because they see the work of God in you. And they go, that's not human. And it points them to Jesus. It's a testimony. It's proof of his existence that we have a living God active in our lives. What Paul did pray for were things like unity that would glorify God, joy and peace so that they would believe and trust in him and have hope in him. He prayed for wisdom and revelation that they would know God better. I love that one. They prayed they would, he prayed they would share their faith so others would have a deeper understanding of God. He prayed for dependence on God, spiritual growth, and transformation in the lives of believers. He prayed for our spiritual maturity, all for God's glory. I'm going to share a story with you. Um, This is a personal story, and I have the permission of my daughter to share this, or otherwise I wouldn't. Actually, I have the permission of both my daughters, although my second daughter said, why are you asking me? Um, (laughs) So one of our daughters has, um, she deals with chronic pain in one of her feet, and it's due to a soccer injury from three and a half years ago. Um, It's constant. She's never without pain um, she, um, has had two surgeries and during the second surgery, because the bone that was fractured, it wouldn't heal. So they removed the bone from her foot and just, there was nothing else they could do. Um, and we knew that there was a possibility that the pain would never go away. But now a year and a half after that second surgery, uh, we went back in recently to the orthopedic surgeon and said, okay, can we evaluate where this pain is coming from? And We were looking for answers. And ideally, we were looking for um, the pain to be gone, to remedy it. And um, we did not get the news that we had hoped. And so she was told, she was told, where are those tissues? I don't, am I going to buzz? Am I going to buzz if I walk that way? Throw me that box. I'll throw them back. You might need them. Deb said she's going to make everyone cry at her table. <laughs> so um, we were told I throw it back, that there was nothing they could do. So she's 16. Mama's heart hurts. <laughs> if you've lived in chronic pain... It's an experience that is really different. It can make you really edgy. (laughs) It's hard. So she was told that this may be what she experiences the rest of her life, although the doctor said, and he's a believer, he gave her great hope and encouragement. So you may ask, Do we pray for healing and for God to take this thorn away? You know, Paul prayed three times, and then he prayed the bigger prayers. Do we pray? You're right. You're. We do. We pray for healing because we believe God can heal. We don't know when. We don't know when He chooses to do it. But yes, we're going to continue to pray for healing. I've encouraged her every chance she gets. Go ask for it because sometimes healing is a process and it takes time. So, but the other prayers that I pray for her is that God will be glorified through her pain and through her discouragement. I pray also that his power would be made perfect in her weakness. I pray that she will trust that God is working all of this out for her good because he loves her so much and according to his plans and his purposes for her life. I pray for her spiritual growth. I pray for both of our daughters these things. I pray that nothing would stunt their spiritual growth and that they would always love their Lord throughout their life. Because he's the one who stains. These eternal things give us hope. They remind us of God's goodness and his grace. And it reminds us of the victory that has already been won. It was won on behalf of each and every one of us here through, through Jesus' death and resurrection. And so that helps us to run that good race to continue moving forward. So tonight, we're going to look at a prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, if you want to start turning there. Um, I encourage you to take notes. We're going to have a time of discussion. At the end, we have a table leader at every one of your tables. Some of them have co-leaders. Ladies, would you raise your hands so we can have you identified at your tables? So at the end of this teaching time... They have a set of questions to help create some conversation at the table. Um, You may not want to participate. (laughs) That's fine. You don't have to. But I encourage you to. This is really casual tonight. This is kind of like the the feeling of being in a small group. This is what we do. Except we don't make people stand up in front of everyone. You know, you just sit in a circle and you talk. You talk about scripture. You talk about uh, what do you take from that scripture what it means, and, and how do you apply it to your lives, and, and you pray for each other. And that's what we're doing tonight. So if you're not in a small group, this is giving you a taste of what small group community is like, and we highly value it here. It holds us together. It's how we mature and grow in our relationship with God, and it's how the transforming, transforming work of the Holy Spirit works in us. So OK, would you just join me? We're going to pray, and then we got to get going. Gracious Father in heaven, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would give us a stronger spirit of your wisdom and your revelation tonight. I say, come Holy Spirit, as you reveal yourself tonight in greater ways to each of us. Lord, breathe on the scripture, the chosen scripture we're gonna look at tonight. Let it come alive, Lord. Help us to see it how you see it through your kingdom eyes. We just give you this night and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, so you've got an outline. You're gonna have you follow along. All right, I'm sorry. Sniffling. All right, where are we at? There we go. All right, so we're going to be looking at Ephesians three fourteen through 21, but I'm going to jump right into the center of it first, and then we're going to do the bookends of this prayer. And I want to do this because we're going to get to the meat of it. So we're going to begin with verse 16, and let me, uh, let me just read that. to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, so right away, I want to identify two petitions that Paul is making at this point. You know what? I skipped something. I did not do background. We cannot know what's going on if I don't give background on Ephesians. So let me whip through that real quick. I am so sorry. (laughs) Context is important. So at this time, the early church is... Spreading and growing very rapidly. And Paul and his friends have established churches um, all over in the Gentile cities. Remember, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, he had taken three different missionary journeys and he's establishing these churches. And one of the most prominent that he had established was the church in Ephesus. And so Paul later returns to that church and he remains there for about three years preaching and teaching. So this letter, the prayer that we're looking at in the letter Ephesians, it was written by Paul while he's imprisoned. So think about that, because I could have thought of a hundred other things I'd be praying for if I was Paul. So keep that in mind when we're looking at this prayer. He's in prison, and he's writing a letter of encouragement to the church. A letter of encouragement. So he's trying to strengthen their faith by explaining the nature and the purpose of the body of Christ. So that's the context. Now we're going to jump back in. So two petitions in those first verses that we're looking at. The first petition that he is making is for God's power. He is asking for God's power in their life. I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the core of the petition right there, the first one. So the agent or the cause of the power is what? It's the Holy Spirit. And the place of operation where he wants that power to be is in what he calls the inner being, or some translations say the inner self. See, we cannot obtain power on our own. It comes by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And to help us understand the inner being, what that means, I want to reference another scripture, 2 Corinthians 4. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I'm going to stop on that one. The inner being is what remains in us when our bodies fail. Anyone got a body failing? And you don't have to be old for them to fail. So um, as our bodies physically wear out and tear down, our inner being, it says, continues to be renewed day by day. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to do that renewal in us. So what is the purpose of... Of that power in the inner being, as he states it in this verse, it's in 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the purpose. You know, as you study the prayers of Paul, you will see a lot of so that's or very similar language, so that. Um, The so that provides the purpose of his petition, whatever he's praying for. So it's a good indicator. Okay, that's what he wants to happen. So he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So you might be asking, wait a minute. I thought Christ dwells in all Christians. What does that mean? Well, that's true, but I'm going to give you an analogy um, that I think kind of helps illustrate it. It's not the perfect analogy, but I think it works. So I don't know about you, but I like the HGTV show Fixer Upper. Hey, you know that one? It's the reality show with Chip and Joanna Gaines. It's a married couple, and they like to take vacant, um, rundown homes that are in really bad shape and renovate them. And they always come up with this amazing, beautiful finished product that I go, I wish I lived there. They're beautiful. So when you become a Christian, the spirit takes up initial residence in you. God imparts the Holy spirit to followers of Christ. But you know what happens if you don't already know, he finds a lot of garbage in you, there's a lot of things in you that just need to be kind of cleaned up, so to speak. So it might be something like that leaky roof. It might be you need to have the electrical replaced because it's old and out of date. You might need a fresh uh, coat of paint just to brighten it up a little bit, or just even an overall deep cleaning just to make the house be, uh, be, you would be able to move in, right? So down the road, though, you do these initial things. You move just to get you in the house. Well, down the road, let's say, your family begins to expand, and you start, oh, you know what? We got little ones. We need to replace this carpet. We've had this carpet too long. It's stinky and smelly. It's stained. They're not coming out. We need to replace the carpet. Or we need to add another bedroom for that child or another bathroom because now we have teenagers, and I can't get in the bathroom. Um, So throughout your time there, you continue to maintenance that house as well, right? And you make enhancements, improvements to it. You know, when people move into a house, especially with those where you go, we're going to replant it here. This is our house. This is where we're going to raise our family and we're going to grow old together. What you find is that over time, their presence characterizes the house. I have a friend who, when I go to her home, and she's here tonight, I always tell her, I experience such peace when I walk into your home. And it's so representative of her personality. She's a peaceful person. That's what our homes, they represent us. They're characterized by us. Just as when the Spirit indwells us, he sets out to make this dwelling place an appropriate place for him to live. So he's got a lot of work to do. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, he puts it as, Christ is being formed in us. It's a process. It's an ongoing process. He's being shaped and molded into you. When Christ moves in, we're in need of a major repair. And it requires a lot of power to do that, power that we don't have on our own. So Paul prays this prayer for power. Paul asks God to strengthen us by his power in our inner being that Christ may take up permanent residence in us, transforming us into a home that in time more and more reflects his character. Day by day, we start to look a little bit more like Christ, and it's a beautiful thing. Maybe a little painful at times, but it's a beautiful thing, and it's so worth it. You know, the TV show Fixer Upper isn't probably the perfect example because wouldn't it be nice if we do reach completion because we don't? And it would be nice to do it in a one-hour episode, wouldn't it? Just let's get this over with. Let's just clean me up right now. Okay, so he then, um, we ask, how does Paul describe the supply of that power? How much power? Well, he says it's out of his glorious riches in verse 16. Another um, time we see this is in Philippians 4.19, and it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The glorious riches refers to what has already been secured for you by Christ's death and resurrection. And boy, there is more to come. In short, it refers to God's limitless resources to fulfill Paul's bold request in this prayer. Out of his glorious riches, Paul petitions God for the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And he believes that the supply of power is is as extensive as the many blessings that have already been lavished on each and every one of us here. So that is the petition for God's power. The second one is God's love. And we see this, and it starts in verse 17. And I pray that you skip forward, grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's the root of his petition right there. He prays for power to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of God. What it's not saying is, um, you need to love God more. Not that that's a bad thing, but that's not what he's saying right there. He's saying we need to better grasp God's love for us. We need to understand the depth of it. God's love is a foundational truth. And Paul wants us to be, he says, rooted and established in that love. So there's two terms there, rooted and established. The first one, they both represent a metaphor. The rooted is an agricultural one, and it's representing the deep roots of a tree, the extensive root system that not only attaches itself um, to the source of the nutrients under the ground, but it keeps the plant set in place so it can weather a storm and not be broken. The second one is established, which is more of like an architectural. how You think of the foundation of a home. So um, a foundation that is solid and well-built, it means that there's stability for that home. It means security and strength. So what he's saying is that when we face trials and hard, difficult circumstances, which we all will, right? And we are probably at this time. We remain steady. We remain strong. And we're not tossed from side to side like the waves. We don't get carried away and we don't get broken. We stay steady and strong. Spiritually maturing Christians have a growing understanding of God's love and his grace and his power. So how is the measurement of his love described here. It says, wide, long, high, and deep. Now, modern commentators will tell you, um, they'll just warn you, don't be too literal um, with that description. But I think based on what Paul has already been saying um, and preaching in the previous chapters in Ephesians, I like this take on it. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all of mankind. This is written to the Gentiles, and theres we're going to hear this in a few minutes, but there's an announcement being made about the Jews and the Gentiles who were segregated. So it's broad enough to encompass all of mankind, long, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. Understanding the extent of that, of God's love, is pretty amazing, and um, it creates gratitude, great gratitude in my heart, and I'm sure for you as well. He adds that we shall have the power to comprehend these dimensions of Christ's love along with all the saints. A father of Christ can know something about love, but that. Knowledge is limited. That experience is limited because it's just you. So, what he's saying is, it needs to be the whole people of God when you come together. It's why church, attending church and being a part of a church in small group is so important. When you come together, you understand the love of God even deeper because now you know what's happening? You're rubbing, right? Iron sharpens iron. You're also getting cared for, and you're getting loved, and you're being encouraged. There are people who want to be in relationship with you, in friendship. God shows us so much more um, when we are in that experience with each other, when we're in relationship. It needs to be everyone. Um, But you know what? Yet, even with each other, we never fully get an understanding it, it's just limitless, and it's beyond what our, our brains can grasp. It says it surpasses knowledge, is the wording he uses. Uh, knowledge of the word doesn't get you maturity, spiritual maturity, right? We can know a lot of things, but we may not grow spiritually. But combined with the spiritual um, Element of being in relationship with people and learning how to love people and care for people, that combined with the knowledge moves us further down in maturity. It grows us, it progresses us in in that transformation uh, process. So, Paul has already used this word surpassing um, about his power and his grace in the earlier chapters, but he uses it again for God's love. And you know what? I'm sure we will spend eternity trying to wrap our minds around um, just the fullness of God's love for us. So those are the two petitions for power and for love. So now what I want to do, I want to back up to the opening verses, uh, verses 14 and 15, because I think there are some things here we need to highlight to understand more about the prayer. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So he says, for this reason. So that means we got to look back further, which we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but I'm going to summarize earlier in chapter 3. Remember that Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles, and this church is comprised of Gentile believers. So Paul has received revelation from God, and what he's doing earlier in the chapter is announcing some amazing news to the Gentiles. See, there was segregation, right? There were the Jews, the chosen people of Israel, God's people. And then there was everyone else. And that's the Gentiles. Everyone's lumped into that. Um, they, everyone believed that Jews were the chosen people. Well, what Paul has had the privilege and honor of sharing is that they, the Gentiles, have now been adopted into the royal family, God's royal family. Sit on that a second. If you've ever been excluded and now you're being included, there's such power in inclusion And you can't even fathom, because nothing compares to what that inclusion in God's family um, feels like. But they're now able to sit alongside their brothers and sisters that are Jewish. They're equal. What he has announced to them is that God is forming a new society, a new humanity. We are all one body in Christ. One temple of God. And I can't imagine, um, I didn't really grow up during the early segregation years, but think of it in that terms. If you got to be the one to deliver the amazing news that we're all equal here, I can't even imagine, it makes me just well thinking about how overwhelming that would be for Paul. He has chosen me to share this with this young church that they are part of the body, his family. And so there's deep emotion, I think, that's coming out of that for him. And so for that reason, he prays. So that's what it's that, talking about. He prays for the power of the Holy Spirit to transform and give them a deeper understanding of God's love. And then the next line, it says, I kneel before the Father, you know, typically um, the Jewish people did not kneel in prayer. It was common for them to stand. Um, so it doesn't matter what position you're in when you pray. You can be driving, you can be walking, you can be standing, you can be kneeling. I don't recommend laying down because I fall asleep, but you, it doesn't matter the physical position you're in, whatever, you know, is what God has you do. But I think what this represents is it's the posture of Paul's heart. He knew God was above him. He knew God's rule and reign was over him. And so he knelt to show reverence to his God because he knew his position. And he knew God's position, but he also knew his position. So I think it's um, coming to him in awe and wonder Because he believed. He believed in the greatness of his father. He knew who he was praying to you, too. But my question for you tonight is, do you know, do you think about God in the same way when you pray to him? Just chew on that for a while. And just think about that tonight. It continues on to say, from whom every family in heaven and earth derive its name. The word used for father here is better represented, father of every family. Every fatherhead group on heaven and on earth um, is named from the father. I did not, I received um, the name of my father coming down to me. It, that, that name did not go up. My maiden name is Grandstaff. That came down to me. It's the same thing with God. It refers, in this one, we're referring to the father of all, above all, of every family, and the one in whom alone fatherhood is seen in perfection. Nothing compares to the fatherhood of, of our God, the one we all come and yield before to pray with awe and wonder. If you skip to the verses that close this prayer, verses 20, I want to read that now, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a benediction. Um, It's a declaration. It's a declaration that the God who always does more than we think he will do, more than we could imagine, his blessings are in abundance to us. He's bringing glory to God's name, to his son Jesus. And he also, um, in that declaration of this power that comes through Christ, he's saying is available to them, the Ephesians. And you know what? It's available to us as well. You know, we don't study the scriptures to um, look at a set of rules to follow in our lives. We should study the scripture to get to know the character of God. As we get to know the character of God and build a relationship with him, then that's when the Holy Spirit can do that transforming work in us. So tonight, he prays for God's power by the Holy Spirit in our inner being uh, so that the Holy Spirit will dwell in us. He prays we would grasp the limitless dimensions of God's love for us so we could love like he does. He prays big because he understood the greatness of God, and he knew his God could deliver that. He prays for spiritual maturity so that God would be glorified. We have a saying. uh, It's one of the Vineyard distinctives. Many of you know it. Uh, It's come as you are. It's um, kind of a tagline, I think, now for a lot of churches. We're the original. Just saying. No, no, but so it's come as you are. Jesus welcomed everyone. He dined with some of the just the craziest people, you know, in society. And it didn't put him off because he had such great love. He didn't go, you're difficult, you're strange, you're weird. No, he said, come on. And he built a bridge, he built a relationship. Sometimes he spoke truth. Sometimes he just blessed them. Sometimes he loved them. Sometimes he healed them. So we say, come as you are. We welcome anyone and everyone here at BCDC. But we also say, don't stay as you are. Don't remain that way. Because we have that garbage when we come into relationship with God. And we want that to be transformed. Sometimes you want to hold on to it too long. (laughs) But you know what? If you ever experienced any type of transformation, transformation in your life, it is so well worth it. There's nothing like it.